podcast exploring faith and fear, what scares us and what saves us. This is The Fear of God. Hello, and welcome to your favorite podcast at the intersection of faith and fear, where every single week we discuss what scares us in order to find what saves us. Ladies and gentlemen, this is the fear of God. Speaking to you right now is one of your hosts, Reed Lackey, and typically with me is your fellow co-host, Nathan Rouse, but he told me he had to go and make fists with his toes. I'm not quite sure what that means, but hey, it's 20, I mean, it's 2023. I'm like, you do, you dude, like all good. But while we wait on Nathan, uh, permit me to remind you, our dear listeners, that here at The Fear of God, we explore, we don't explain, except, of course, for right now, when I explain that you can find all things foggy at thefearofgodpodcast.com. I mean, tons of stuff, things like, and especially, how to support us on Patreon. Listen, if you're not in on this, being a patron nets you so much. You get extended episodes, you get bonus episodes, sometimes early release episodes, special hangouts with us and other foggers. I mean, you really ought to gift yourself a patron membership to the Fear of God podcast this holiday. Also, on the website at thefearofgodpodcast.com, you'll be able to purchase fog swag and merchandise. You'll find an archive of all of our episodes, all of them in both chronological and alphabetical order. Thank you, continuity guru Steve Beckley, for your hard work there. And the absolute, unquestionably most significant and important thing that you can find at the fear of God podcast.com is <gasps> oh, wait a minute. Who is this? Fresh out of the air vents, sporting a new sweatshirt that says, Now I have a machine gun. Ho, ho, ho. It's the one and only Roy Rogers. I'm sorry, Nathan Rouse. How you doing, man? Yippee Kai, lackey. <laughs> <laughs> the, ooh, oh, yeah, that, <laughs> yeah, that one doesn't. I mean, I mean, maybe for. <laughs> I mean, certain members of the population. D- wow, let's stop right there. <laughs> yours truly, possibly included. You know, let's, whatever. Yeah, <laughs> hey, you know, it's 2023, dude. Fists with your toes. <laughs> like, just. Oh man. my god, uh, that is all very out of body. It's very weird. Yeah, it's hearing. weird, huh? Now uh-huh. you, now you live in my world for a few minutes. Um, well, yeah, but I don't normally do your bit. But yeah, as yeah. listeners will be able to tell, I've got a frog in my throat. Um, he brought a friend. Is, yeah, he's got a friend in me. <laughs> uh, but I've got my my Disney World, this is my Starbucks around the world, Disney World. This is the uh, Hollywood Studios uh, thermos with some hot tea in it. So I can hopefully keep my throat nice and warm and coated and while coated. we discuss the adventures of John McClane. Mm, okay, well that's awesome. Well, you know what? Uh speaking of that, let's let's mm-hmm. get let's get right into it. Um 
Listeners, listen, first, uh, we, we've thanked you a lot already, but sincerely, thank you for finding your way to us today. I mean, whether this is your first episode or your 300th episode of The Fear of God, we're very, very thankful that you chose to spend your time with us. Uh, last week, we deconstructed the pros and the cons of the David Harbour starring Christmas Carnage Fest Violent Night. Uh, if you haven't listened to that yet, then uh, it's a rollicking good time. But today, today, Nathan, oh, today, Tell me. we are keeping... Our holiday run of saucy-mouthed badasses against a horde of villains going with the Christmas? Christmas question mark? Classic from the year 1988 that revolutionized the action genre, not to speak in hyperbole, and made us fall in love with Bruce Willis, Alan Rickman, and Carl Winslow all at once. That's right, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to the party, pal. Today, we are talking about (laughs) Die Hard. Now, normally, okay, real talk. Uh Uh-huh. Normally, this is where we would go to the patron mobile, but I got to be candid, Nathan. I had too many Twinkies, and time mm. is of the essence. Uh, I'm just kidding, but I am just a little bit too I th- eager. Well, I would imagine that would work in the opposite effect. It would clog you up real good, so Ugh. I think you're fine on time. This- I thought we were going to do the top 10 Lackey the Listicle, uh, or the Lackey the Listicle's top 10 Moonlighting episodes. Isn't that, did, didn't he come prepared? Yeah, he didn't. He didn't come prepared for that. He's not. He's not. Uh, he's not. He's not as well versed in the moonlighting of it all. Huh. Um, yeah, unfortunately. Well, you know what? I, it's time to remedy that blind spot. Yeah. You know what? Uh, I'll be right back. Okay. <laughs> so anyway, um, no. But in all seriousness, uh, so uh, normally this is where we'd go to a patron segment, but I'm a little eager to get into this episode. And plus, you're. I want to be sensitive to time with your uh, vocal opportunity. So we're if, if you're down, I'm game to just dive right into it. And not to shortchange the patrons, we'll release this early to patron listeners uh, earlier than yeah, our Tuesday release. Because you were just selling them on how awesome it is to be a patron. That's right. So this will be an so. early release episode for them. And uh, and yeah, we can, we can dive right into it if you want to. Um, so we are talking about Die Hard this week. And I... I don't know, man. I... I love this movie so much. (laughs) We'll get into specifics about why. But first of all, uh, I'd like to read the Apple iTunes summary for the, I think, maybe four listeners out there who have heard Die Hard but have no idea what it's about. Um, Mm -hmm. So uh, this is the summary for Die Hard. John McTiernan's alternative Christmas classic helped spawn a new form of action movie with its gripping lone hero under siege premise, immensely quotable script, an iconic star-making turn from Bruce Willis. It also helped launch the Hollywood career of the fabulous Alan Rickman, who delivers a deliciously villainous turn as the cool and calculating terrorist Hans Gruber. But the triumph of this nonstop thrill ride unquestionably belongs to Willis's smart-mouthed New York City cop, John McClane. With his trusty service pistol, dirty white vest, and quippy catchphrases, Willis was instantly transformed from a likable U.S. TV star to one of cinema's quintessential action heroes. That's a lot of editorializing, Apple iTunes. What is it? He is definitely not wearing a vest. That is no, not it's a, what no, it's a, like McClane's an A wearing. t-shirt. It's a tank top. You know? Yeah, it's, like it's a basically white beater, you know. Yeah. That's is that name okay to call it? Anymore? Probably not. Probably yeah. not. But that but people know what I'm saying. Mean but when yes, I'm saying that. So. Yes, exactly. But I'm just like I I ran into that. It's the Hans beater. <laughs> <laughs> the Gruber beater. It's the, oh, this is getting this is getting south. The Gruber beater. <laughs> wow, Gruber oh, beater. Oh, oh. <laughs> no. Um. So whoa. <laughs> it's paused right there. So um, last week I learned. Mm-hmm. 
hence kind of why this episode is happening. I learned that you'd seen Die Hard, uh, but not incredibly Maybe. well-versed on it. Really? Maybe. So, yeah, describe this rewatch for you. Uh, what was that like for you? This re-slash-watch. Yes. Maybe first time. Watch? Maybe. <laughs> rewatch? Yes. Rewatch? Maybe. Um, yeah, talk to me a little bit about that. I loved it. Mm. Uh, you know. I'm so excited. This happened to me years ago with The Godfather. These movies that mm. exist in the cinema pantheon that you worry getting to them late is going to dull their effect. And sure. And arguably sometimes does like that. That is a thing, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. Very real possibility. And, and so uh, when I, as just mentioned, originally first got to the Godfather, I was like, okay, let's, it's the Godfather. You gotta watch the Godfather. Let's see what that's about. And yeah. just really kind of, fell in love with that, you know, understood. Okay. That's legit. Um, <laughs> yeah, indeed. Not. And that was probably 20 years ago. That was in college when I wow. saw that. And, okay. and so to watch die hard now, I just, I, I know that I watched the Sam Jackson one in the theater. Oh, die hard with a vengeance. Okay. Yeah. 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 I, 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 I can't tell you if, if I'd actually seen the first one now I'm mm, I was familiar mm. with its general beats. I was familiar with largely the cast, but you know, I mean, I would not have remembered the uh, Reginald Val Johnson character in his mm. role. Um, in fact, when, when you learn what his place is in the text, I was like, okay, that's cool. You know, like oh, just yeah. that he's the, he's the one outside trying mm-hmm. to get help. Um, so wouldn't have remembered that. Uh, what is hard about this movie is so many of its lines have become, you know, oh again, yeah, just just uh, canonized. So so anyway, lo- long-winded way of simply saying that I'm not a hundred percent positive I had seen it in its entirety sure, before sure. this, and 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 kind of kind of by I don't know the three quarters mark, you're kind of like okay, you know, to 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 withhold. Uh, uh, to level criticism or to withhold affection at this point is just being willfully, you know, like that guy. <laughs> contrarian. Um, sure. Yeah. 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 Because yeah. now, uh, I do, if, if I'll go ahead and get this out of the way, if I have any critique, it's simply like one of, one of this thing, one of this film's, uh, masteries is its script. And, and I don't Absolutely. just mean the dialogue. I mean, it's structure, mm-hmm. just the architecture alone. And I was actually talking to uh, Penny, who's been on the show before my 13 year old. Um, I was talking to her about the movie wish and I was describing mm. the concept in story construction of the payoff, right? Like you oh, set a thing yeah. up, you pay it off later on and die hard. Uh, sadly, I was identifying how poorly wish does that, but mm. die hard expertly utilizes oh, this several times oh, if yeah. i have any one any one of them that i i would point to as is a fantastic payoff i kind of don't know if i love it is the is the literal final beat with with Val johnson shooting and the gun. yeah blondie yeah. which which i don't even mean like again it's uh, story construction wise script, script construction wise sure. as a payoff mm-hmm. it's fantastic i don't 
it for a movie as that set the template for what was to come it's actually relatively grounded relatively i agree you know? yeah mm-hmm. and to and so to have the like traditional you know 80s baddie backup from the dead you know <laughs> at the very end i was like okay whatever yeah <laughs> i'm, I'm I'm in it at this point, so I'm not going to care that much. But sure, anyway, so, so sure. Extremely minor quibble, but uh, beyond that, um, yeah. I mean, it's funny. I, I know we'll talk about specifics of the movie, but this one does rest so firmly uh, in just you know in in cinema history that uh, one. I, I actually didn't mean to go into this point, but I think it was the library of congress it's part of the library of congress oh yes Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. but it's fascinating watching it now a knowing how bruce willis is doing or not doing that's that's hard um that is that is painful to think about i couldn't i couldn't completely divorce myself from that meta knowledge when watching it this time doesn't hurt my affection for the film but yeah sure yeah you register it yeah but b to that point the counterpoint to that is he's so damn good in it yeah wow he he really and oh where i'm going this the, the where i'm trying to steer uh, uh the ship here is the notion of it surprises me i'm i'm glad it hasn't uh i think it's it's only a matter of time at this point uh but it surprises me we haven't done a retread rehash reboot refresh you know um in fact i was doing some reading on that today and i don't know if you saw this but like there's a brief rumor about Krasinski. I think it's all rumor, but, um, hmm. and, and where I'm going with that is to identify the strength of Willis in this. Like he is not a powerhouse of a, of a physical presence. Right. Um, right. but he's also not like the, the, the squirrely, the squirrely kind of like slight one either. You know, he, <laughs> his physical presence works to, to, uh, set him as the underdog. And that, oh, yes. I think, I think when you find movie magic like this, when you just kind of accidentally, the stars align, like to, to go back to the well and try to reboot Die Hard, they're, they're going to be looking to force the magic. And that's, yeah, that's the failure right there. Yeah. You know, yeah. If that makes sense. Oh, it makes complete sense. Uh, man, so much that you said there that I, that I'm, I'm excited about. I want, I, I want to, Start with the most recent thing you said. Uh, help me remember. I want to go back to that setups and sure. payoffs thing. But um, uh, so I just this year, like a few months ago, finished a book that I would highly recommend. Uh, I loved this book by Nick DeSimlin called The Last Action Heroes. And it is an entire sort of cartography of 80s action stars. Uh, everybody from Stallone, Schwarzenegger, Steven Seagal, Chuck Norris, Jackie Chan, uh, and charting the rhythm of action films in the 80s and, you know, ups and downs, lefts and rights. And there's an entire chapter devoted to Die Hard. Um, so a, lo- a couple of things that I'm going to rattle off here in just a second are directly, a-, a lot of it's either knowledge I picked up over time. John McTiernan has a great commentary on the dvd release of this that i'm sure i listened to at some point um so it's hard to parse out exactly where i got certain pieces of this information but zoning in on that vulnerability thing prior to that um action movie stars particularly of the schwarzenegger vein uh were not like run and hide strategize you know kinds of things like bruce willis does in this movie they were very much like 
commando Brute style. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. Like you cannot stop this tank that is just coming at you. And that was the template for much of the action films of the eighties. In fact, casting this sucker was a nightmare because yeah. every action star that they went to turned it down. Many of them citing, this is not an action dude. This guy's a wimp. This guy's a wuss. Mm. You know, he spends the first third of the film running away why would we sign up for this? This is not presenting him as a as an sure. imposing figure, and and so it's just it's just fascinating. Like they they offered it to Stallone, they offered it to Schwarzenegger, they offered it to Harrison Ford, offered it to Al Pacino, offered it to freaking Burt Reynolds. Like everybody passed on it, and so then I thought this was kind of cool. Um, they did reach out to Bruce Willis, but Bruce Willis was doing Moonlighting, and he was not going to be able to do it. So he turned it down. And then almost like a Christmas miracle, this film and Bruce Willis's presence in it was saved by a baby because, uh, his moonlighting co-star Sybil Shepard got pregnant and needed 11 weeks off. So he's like, Oh, well, moonlighting is going to be rapping for 11 weeks. I can do die hard. <laughs> so that's, hmm. that's kind of how this came about. And because they were so desperate at that point, his agent scored him like a $5 million paycheck, which was unheard of for somebody who had done as little as he had done at that time. Um, but yeah, so he was basically like the, a lot of the odds were against this film going into it. They were like, does this really work? We don't know. And it was kind of this, this great case of a lot of people just giving it their best shot this film was an underdog story on on its own terms behind the scenes. I won't go into all the ins and outs and ups and downs, but you talked earlier about the construction of it. My God, the setups and payoffs in this are mm -hmm. legion. And I mean, not even just, I mean, one of the more overt ones is Reginald Vell Johnson telling the story about how he'll never draw his gun again and then sure. takes out the bad guy at the end. But little things like, I'll cite a couple that stand out to me. The biggest one that stands out to me is freaking tool that he is Ellis when John McClane is first coming into the office, coming into Holly's office, and Ellis is, is talking to Holly. He's like, show him the watch. Show him the watch. Come on. You embarrassed about the watch? Show him the watch. It's a Rolex, you know, like bragging about it. That watch is never mentioned again, but that watch is why Hans Gruber falls at the end because he's holding on to that mm, watch and they mm. unlatch the watch and it mm. falls with him. Maybe more on that later. Um, when she gets frustrated and puts the picture down because she's just aggravated, that allows a lengthy amount of time right. for well, him to not know who she is. Yeah, go ahead. I'm going to interject some here, which is to say it's hard to, for me, it's hard to know exactly. Like if you were to just outside of this conversation and, and divorced from having just watched Die Hard, hey, tell me about set up some payoffs in film. It's like, well. I know how to describe it, but until sure. you really see it done well, it's right. hard to be like that. Yeah. And the because so much, yeah, it's unfortunate that this is going to be a punching bag for a moment, but the, the movie wish I'll bring it up again. Mm -hmm. Like it's kind of a mess from a story structure standpoint, and it's and it's because of stuff like this. It's like there's there's not a lot of attention paid to you know, intentional choice making. And, you mean, and, you and, mean wish, right? I don't yes, remember yes. if you said it. Okay. Correct. Yeah. Um, whereas in Die Hard, even little things read like, okay, the, the moment you realize the value of her reverting to her maiden name yeah. to the story itself, I'm like, okay. Yes. I mean, that's, that's such a subtle choice, mm -hmm. but mm -hmm. is critical and crucial to story. And that's yes. huge to be able to, 
pull that off in a way that doesn't feel contrived, you know, feel overwrought. But to your point too, the photo thing, it's like when those things happen in the movie, that's what I meant by being able to identify them. It's like, uh, okay. Yeah. 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 Yeah, This is, this is smart. You know? Yeah. They even have, I appreciate certain other things about this. There's this one moment that on its surface maybe doesn't mean much, but you remember the moment where, Carl, the long-haired blondie villain, mm-hmm. is his brother is down trying to hotwire some uh, some tubes, and I, I don't yeah. know exactly what he's trying to accomplish in that moment, but he's trying to sever a connection, like the phone lines or something. He's trying to sever the connection, chainsawing the thing, and he's chainsawing the thing. But that is a little exchange between the two of them that is very sibling rivalry kind of stuff like oh you're fine right like hey you know like and they're kind of playfully doing this sibling rivalry thing they don't call out each other that they're brothers at that point but they're doing this little sibling rivalry thing so that then when he is the when his brother is the first one killed that further is this great little insulated arc where now carl is like well this is personal and they didn't just say oh because they're brothers so naturally they took a moment that is, again, it serves multiple purposes, but this moment for them to have this little playful exchange that shows why they have a relationship that makes his vendetta personal, which, again, fuels more into it. Um, again, the, the, they're legion. We won't go through them like a, like a little Rolodex of list here, but, yeah, there's so many small little touches but, that are well, just fantastic. I, you know, I even thought up front, Argyle, perfect yeah. framing device. Yeah. I mean, it really is. Like, mm-hmm. He is our, he's the every man who is providing the exposition dump we need to yes. just get into the story. It's yeah. like, this, this is why, remember how, boy, here's a callback. Um, Wingard, what's the movie with the uh, house? You're next. Yes. Adam Wingard. And that's, yeah. that's the, it's the girl who yes. halfway through the movie says, my dad taught me how to yes. work. Mm-hmm ropes or something traps yes and how i i I complained about it at the time like sure yeah yeah. this is random but like this is what i mean like argyle like i'm okay if i can see it on screen in other words sure i know what's happening here Mm -hmm. one i'm impressed because i'm seeing what you're doing you're you're just you're giving me you're giving me the exposition i need as a viewer Mm -hmm. to kind of get a sketch who is this guy why is he doing what he's doing What's his, what's a minimal backstory so yes. that I don't even need a whole lot more in the rest. What, what becomes valuable though, is uh, it's the difference between the your next version, which, which again, I'm, I'm, I may be unfairly picking on, but feels just like here is exposition, right? right? That's right. Like mm-hmm. halfway through, halfway through, like, why are we doing this right now? Right. This yeah. it's, you're using a character who does have a function in the story, Argyle. Mm-hmm. to to prop us up to learn something so that when McLean the next time McLean says anything of substance it's a rich monologue to Val Johnson outside yeah. the building you know mm-hmm. about a, um about the marriage right yeah, yeah about his basically wife. yeah oh saying, yeah tell her I love her kind of stuff and I'm and sorry that was a and, yeah go ahead finish your point yeah no I'm just I'm just uh, buffeting what you're saying which is mm-hmm. What I what I meant when I said at the three fourths mark when you're like okay I I, I give up mm. I'm not going to resist the charms of this anymore it is expertly designed uh, yes. uh, and 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 well constructed and impressively designed given if you do the reading just how kind of not troubled but just like mm-hmm. challenging the the shoot 
was. Absolutely. Um, yeah, the, pro- the production itself had lots of difficulties. Now, there is, from what I've read, there is a ton of praise heaped upon the script. The script is is not one of those things where like it went through 5000 drafts or everything like that. like they they honed in they focused they got the script right but other aspects of like you know mapping out exactly where they were going to be you know the layers between what was a model what was actually on stage you know with um you know they they really blew yeah. up that tank like in front of the fox studios lot um so there's there's different things that um Man, I'm just bouncing all over the place. My energy is up. I, I love this movie so much. Um, well, th- well, back up. What's your story with Die Hard? Well, I mean, I've I've loved it for as long as I can remember. I the first time I would have saw I, the first time I would have seen this, and probably ninety percent of my viewings of it. Well, not ninety percent because I've I've owned the movie. Uh, I've owned a copy of the movie for you know twenty plus years now or more. Um, but a lot of my first inclinations with it was seeing it on TV as a kid. Mm. Um, so lots of the, you know, all of the vulgarity was, was uh, which sure I'll get back to the vulgarity in a second, but all of that was cut out, but, and, and some of the more aggressive violence, you know, especially like the, the images of bodies and stuff like that. But, you know, the story is still there and I just got right. captivated by the story, loved it from the first time I saw it. Um, appreciated it even more when I was able to see an unedited copy of it on, on DVD when I first bought it. And yeah, I mean, it's been, it's been up there for me. This is, this is one of those films that like, yeah, when you're talking about action films, it's quite possibly number one. It it at least has a case for being number one action film. Uh, When you talk to love too, how it's like, it is a straightforward story, but it's not, dumbed down it's not too simple oh no it's what, very as, smart. as a counterpoint i'll use mctiernan's predator right sure yeah. it, that is a very simple log line yes you know 100 uh, yep. commandos mm-hmm. under attack in the jungle by a monster you know boom, yes that's it yep. yep this it's like it is straightforward um but it it, it asks a little bit you know to like sure yeah I, I don't know if i'm making sense but you know so many of these and movies like it uh, of this type it's it's such a boiled down simple like man versus man or bad guy versus well, good guy um, it's, it's, which is which is why i'm sorry to cut you up which is why the flavoring mm-hmm. of those setups and payoffs are so strong that's, oh absolutely that's what turns it from predator into mm-hmm. die hard right it's like yeah. suddenly there's actual like cool engine fueling mm-hmm. the whole enterprise there was a uh I know you watched Lego Masters. I don't know if you remember from season one of Lego Masters. Do you remember the challenge that the Lego Masters team had to do where they had to build a bridge and the bridge had to mm-hmm. hold a certain degree of weight? And yeah, I was blown away by that. Yeah. yeah. And and uh, one couple, two different teams were able to do this, but one couple was able to build a bridge and it was able to hold over a thousand pounds or at least a thousand yeah. pounds. And I, I'm, I'm referencing that to say, you look at a film like Predator and Predator is solid because it's a rock. It's simple, straightforward. It is a rock. It is all of the pieces are solid, but they are very uniform. Die Hard is solid because it's like that Lego bridge. It has been so all these little pieces fit right. together to hold a tremendous amount of weight. Um, yeah. And and you can praise each in their That's turn. That's a wild analogy you just made there. <laughs> I mean, I'm, a, I'm a I'm appreciative, but that was wild. <laughs> sure, yeah. But it's like 
to get a visualization, it's like, no, Die Hard is not great because it is overly simple. Die Hard is great because you could pick apart any of a dozen different elements of it and follow that through line through the film and you can track the different beats that they do to make it substantial and sure. and and nothing really falls apart. The one thing that I point to I went back and read Roger Ebert's initial review for it. I was just because I had heard that he didn't like it at first. And his initial review calls it kind of a mess and he gets really hung up on like the the deputy chief of police or the, dep, the you know the um the administrative guy who comes in and yeah, he's just yeah. like I'm you know and Ebert was really hung up on on that. But when I'm watching that and to me this is bleeding all over the place. I hope you don't mind. Sure. We're just kind of bouncing all over the place on this film. But to me, I could see someone criticizing the the extrapolations, the hyperbole of characters like the way the media is portrayed and the way the administrative offices of the police are portrayed and the way the FBI are portrayed. Oh, yeah. All That's of those right. kind of things are definitely inept. But I feel like the film is doing that on purpose. They are deliberately inept in contrast to the John McClanes, to the Al Powells, the Reginald Bell Johnson characters. They are, com- they are deliberately caricatures to contrast the smarter, sharper, wiser, more grounded people that are trying to uh, push against that kind of thing. And uh, I, I, was, I started to say this a little bit earlier. Yes, you could say it's one of the greatest action films. I, without a, an asterisk, say it is the greatest purely action film ever made. I do feel that about this film. But I think, too, it's just a great movie. Like, even if you're not a big action fan, like, it's just a great movie. All of the puzzle pieces work. And talking about some of the... uh, I I do want to mention this. Some of this could bounce into what we would ostensibly normally pivot into theme, but I'll just bounce all over the place for it. It stood out to me, this viewing, how it is so distrusting of institutions uh, like administrative police, the LAPD, uh, the the FBI, media, media for sure. But another thing that it distrusts that I found really interesting, this is the first time that it's really stood out to me, is it distrusts shallow opportunism. I don't know if you notice this, but anytime a character tries to say, you know what, I'm just going to seize control of the situation, it backfires on them. Everything from like Ellis trying to say like, oh, I'll deliver John McClane to you to the the arrogance of the FBI charging in and saying like, oh, yeah, we got this under control now or the LAPD. Every single time somebody tries to just seize the moment and like take control of the moment, they fail gloriously. Meanwhile, and man, this just impresses the heck out of me. Meanwhile, three characters at least, you got John McClane himself, you got Al Powell, you got uh, Holly Gennaro, Holly McClain. Uh, those three characters, which I, I, I don't want to camp too hard here, but it, it, worth noting, that's a diverse group of people. You got a guy, a woman, and uh, a black cop. And all three of them are treated in this film with agency, wisdom, restraint, and reserve that ultimately succeeds in what they're trying to do. And I find that so incredibly impressive considering this was a product of 1988. It's right. just kind of amazing to me that, that 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 is there. I don't think they necessarily made it with that sort of eye or through that sort of lens, but it's there. It's present in the construction of the film. We haven't even gotten to freaking Hans Gruber and the brilliance of Alan Rickman. I mean, this movie's so good. God, I love this movie. So much. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I don't know if you have any responses to that or, or um, 
or anything. I'm kind of kind of holding back some further thoughts on that uh, before we get to to that ain't right and stuff. You have anything else to add, or you want to you want to um, go to those segments? The main sort of production elements I would have praised were you know things like the script, uh, the general story construction. I mean, even things read that that this is one of those grace notes to a script that you have to wonder if they realized how smart and savvy a choice it was initially. Mm. Mm. But, but even little things like talk about underdog. I mean, the dude's shoeless. Yeah. Yeah. And just stuff Mm -hmm. like that. It's like, this is just clever, you know, Mm -hmm. like Mm -hmm. it's not in your face, but it's just one more. Like he's, he's literally in pants and that non vest and that's it. You know, and, and like, you know, and, and, and that's why I think, from a flavor, from a, you know, you, you love this, um, ingredients analogy, but from, uh, you know, what are the spices in the mix? Like those mm-hmm. are just versions of that. It's like, you, yes. you could have had, you know, I mean, hell he could have shown up in his, in his, he, he just got off from a shift and hopped the flight and, and came over and he's in traditional attire, but even little right. smart things like talk about exposition at the beginning of the movie, when the uh, fellow passenger with him sees his yeah. gun, like you just know a lot very quickly. And then they disarm him of kind yeah. of all of his traditional yeah. resources. You yeah. Know? Absolutely. Except his, his kind of brains as it were. Yeah. Um, and, and to the point about his brains, I, I one of the first things he says after the terrorists have taken control, I keep calling them terrorists. They're just thieves. But once they've taken control of the building, one of the first things he says, and again, probably deliberate because so many of the choices in this film are deliberate. He wa- he's, he's running around. He's got the gun and he's like, okay, think, think, think. Yeah. Yeah. That's what he has to do. He's got to think and he's got to strategize. It's not, Oh, I'm just going to barrel in and just, you know, right, like right, right. and and I'm just like, god, I appreciate that so much about this film because it is it it treats it like a chess match. The thoughtfulness and the strategy and many times the restraint is why he survives. In fact, when Takagi is killed, there's a script note in there where he's like, "Why didn't you stop him, John? Why didn't you stop him? Cuz then you'd mm, be dead yeah, too." Yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. like the, the film is so smart, it knows beforehand what the audience might take issue with and goes ahead and, like, the fact that he's barefoot. So right. then, first guy he kills, they take a 10-second a, a beat to say, you know, 40 million terrorists in the world, I got to kill one with shoes smaller than my sister. That was great. You know? That was great. <laughs> you know, it's like, yes. it's so fantastic. It's so fantastic. Well, yeah, because, you know, to, to the point we were making a little bit last week about what can Santa do or not do? Like they, they took the moment to acknowledge it. We know guys, we know he's shoeless. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> he knows it too. And here's why, here's the obstacle in his way. You know, yes. he can't, yeah. he can't find what he needs. Um, oh, so amazing. well, and it's funny you, 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 I, because if I'd watched it at all, it had been so long, I was not ready for, and, and it was a pleasant surprise to me. Uh, McLean Willis's, um, verbal monologuing right like his oh his, yeah uh and it's funny i joked about lacky the listicle and moonlighting just last night so remarkably uh since thanksgiving or so i've just had a little bit more time i've been watching several kind of award season movies and <clears throat> have just been churning through some stuff and and last night i had a little while and i was like you know what 
I've never watched Moonlighting. So I turned on the pilot. Um, <laughs> yeah. Okay. And dude, he's a, he's a chatterbox. Yeah. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. He's very, you know, um, it, it's not like comedian style, but mm-hmm. he is much more chatty than we ever came to know him as sure um, yeah. in his, in his traditional action hero. I mean, heck you, you put pilot Bruce Willis, uh, up against, um, uh, David Dunn or Malcolm, Crow, Malcolm Crow. Oh yeah. Malcolm, you know, Crow, it's like, yeah. mm-hmm. these are dramatically different mm-hmm. uh, expressions. Yeah. Now we don't have to camp here long, but I am curious cause it, I imagine they're fresher for you than they are for me. I think, a core strength of this film is McLean as underdog. Yeah. But do the subsequent films adhere to that? Does it, does he, cause that, that's what I think no. would be hard is once you know, you've got it, it's yeah. hard not to use yeah. it. You know? The, the short answer is, if you is, know what I mean, I do, I do. And the short answer is no. In fact, um, there are a lot of defenders of Die Hard 2 out there. Rennie Harlan directed Die Hard 2. Rennie Harlan's a perfectly capable, you know, often, sometimes great director. Um, and there's a lot of defenders of Die Hard 2. I don't love Die Hard 2. I have a real soft spot in my heart for Die Hard with a Vengeance. And part of it is because McTiernan returns to the directorial That's helm. That's three. That's three. That's the one you saw in the theater. And it's... Samuel Jackson is a great presence. Jeremy Irons is the villain in that. There's, it's Are there just like got a bombs lot. all over the town or something. Yes, yes, what? and and that's the plot. And he has to run around all these different places in New York to try to stop these terrorist attacks by doing these crazy things. Like the first thing he has to do is stand in the middle of Harlem and wear a very racist cardboard and he's got to stand there for supposedly like ten minutes. It's how he comes to meet Samuel L. Jackson. It's because Samuel L. Jackson sees him there. He's like, what? are you doing? <laughs> like, He's like, hold on to your butts. <laughs> <laughs> Basically. Um, <laughs> but uh, all of that to say, past that, the couple of films past that, I mean, I forget which one it is. I think it's either the fourth one, maybe the fifth one, but there is a diehard movie where I kid you not, like, it's either a helicopter or a small, like, personal passenger plane crashes into the middle of a freeway and McLean successfully like surfs. I uh, remember this. Yeah. I don't know that I actually saw it. I don't know if it was from reading reviews, but no, I remember that. Yeah. I mean, it gets ludicrous, which just puts in sharper contrast. The, the brilliance of this film that he, that you use the word grounded, that he is just, he, he's a dude. He's just a dude who's capable enough, smart enough, uh, he's got he, he's got enough skills, but you feel, especially on a first viewing, but you feel many times like he could die. He might not make it. Like when the, it, I, I think it was probably unheard of for an action film for an action star in 1988 to be standing on the precipice of a building about to jump off and utter the words, "Please God, don't let me die." That would have been yeah, unheard of. That was great, <laughs> you know. Yeah, but it's yeah. so real. It's so it, it's so of the moment. It fits this character so much, and um, yeah, it's great. And that adds stakes and layers to this film because it makes you care about him. It makes you care about what happens moment to moment. And even though. It, it, it's unfair to beat up on it, especially in comparison to Die Hard, but I had mentioned about Violent Night, talking about the villains. The villains in this are, uh, I'll say the red shirts first. You have a lot of red shirts in this, 
but everyone is given like their own distinct little like moment. There's there's a few that are just dispatched. Uh, so I shouldn't say everyone. There's a few that are just dispatched in in the moment, and you're kind of like, oh, did he take another one out? Oh yeah, he took another one out. But the villains that we do have, like Theo, is very different from Eddie, or as I call him, Dime Store Huey Lewis. But um, he like Theo is very different from Eddie, who is very different from Carl, and they're all very different from Hans. Like these villains are, they they add a specific, distinct flavor to what's happening, and that fleshes everything out and makes it feel more, again, grounded to your word, real and feel as implausible as this premise is, makes it feel very believable <laughs> throughout everything that all sure. of what you're seeing could happen. Well, down to, and this is more story, it's a story and character, but um, I mean, I was shocked when he and Rickman run into each other. You know, oh, like, did you oh. not remember that? God, I love, yeah. oh my God. Uh, and so when that happens, I'm like, oh, this is kind of cool. Yeah. Um, and And what I do appreciate about, 88 diehard McLean as a character again, not really speaking to what comes later, but is though clever and though arguably smart, he's not Batman, you know, he's not world's greatest detective, you know, he's just Mm -hmm. decent at paying attention a little bit and, and kind of, it's a great way to put it where I'm going with that is the, how the, how that encounter with Rickman unwinds is him seeing the, the the board with the office numbers for the people yes know? yes and mm-hmm. just using that to deduce that he's not talking to who this person is saying they are but yeah, yeah that was just a fun you know kind of i i think what's impressive about this movie is there's a lot of places it could go wrong quickly mm-hmm. and they just kind of they 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 are literally out on the tightrope and then get to the other side and you're like all right I'm impressed, yeah. you know, that you just well, did that. It's interesting. You just meant you just mentioned this one thing. We we won't camp here long, but um I actually love the subversion of that moment when he finds Rickman out because Rickman has correctly I don't know what you were so when you were seeing the board Rickman calls himself Bill Clay. Well, the board identifies right. that a William Clay works yeah. at the at the thing. So I love that for a, maybe for a first time viewer you think for a few minutes that Willis has been duped, that Willis is like, oh, okay, uh, I might be dealing with the real Bill Clay and he can come alongside me. I just love the the multiple subversions in that scene because you think Hans, you, you might think that Hans has got the, the better of him and then he so confidently and brilliantly is like, oops, <laughs> you think I'm stupid, Hans? Like, oh man. Yeah, it's but, so- but am, I, am I misremembering? Isn't there something about the office numbering or something that's what, not that I know, not not that okay, I'm aware okay. of. I would need to rewatch that scene because maybe there is something that gives it away. Because I thought, again, I'm you've seen it many more times than I have. I thought there was something about the information Rickman was then giving him that was contradicting, not the name, but the data that was appearing on the board. But no, that, you know, yeah, I don't mean, hold to, me to that. Yeah, I, uh, you could be right, but I don't register it. That how I've always viewed that scene is basically that. Hans Gruber calls himself Bill Clay, and then McLean sees that a William Clay works in the office, and the audience could be duped into thinking, "Oh man, Hans is going to trick him. Hans Hans has got the better of him." But then he's just he's just smarter than that. He's just savvier than that. Um, but it's just it, it, the yeah. I mean, we could we could spend this entire episode if we wanted to 
heaping praise upon little things like Hans is up on the roof, and then just about the moment that Willis would have either taken him out or ostensibly held him irrefutably captive, they are interrupted, and it's not until much later when it becomes narratively more crucial that he's like, that's up to the man upstairs. And that makes him remember upstairs. What were you doing upstairs, Hans? And it makes him remember, you know, like, Oh wait, let me think about this. Why was Hans up there? And it's like the film doesn't, the film doesn't show its cards all right away. Like we know Hans was up there checking it, but we still don't know what the plan is. So it's actually a really big reveal when Willis like peeks up. And when he looks up and he sees all that C4 up there, it's like, Oh my God. It's just, yeah, I just listeners are going to get tired of me. Just loving this. We can get to a formal segment. Um, that isn't just us showering affection here, but you know, as someone who appreciates at least the concept mm-hmm. of the film franchise, and in many ways that's kind of the coin of the realm these days, and I don't, e- even with as many of them as are on shaky ground these days, they're not ultimately going to be going anywhere. Um, but watching a movie like Die Hard and what I was identifying as what I would view as pitfalls for subsequent entries and or reboot conceits, you know, one of those things being like when you accidentally create the action hero and then know you have the action figure, you know, let's play with the action figure. And it's like, well, he's going to be invincible. And I think a lot of in this conversation, Jack Bauer and how like, Mm -hmm. you know, for all the things I would enjoy about that show, ultimately that's, there's not a whole lot of character there. Mm -hmm. It's, it's, Mm -hmm. you know, and, and ultimately what's fascinating and impressive about Die Hard is like a season of 24, mm-hmm. which is a little unfair to use as a comparison point here, but a season of 24, ostensibly the goal is Jack Bauer stops filling the blank terrorist. Sure. Yeah. Well, the work they shut. And again, I'm, I'm mixing mediums here. So I'm, I'm recognizing this is probably an unfair comparison, but the, the work they do to force obstacle between Jack and his goal gets pretty laughable. At its best, it's fantastic, but, but sure, you know, yeah. it, it is not at its best for much of its actual runtime, the, the entirety of the show that is. Whereas you watch something like this, which again, I'm sure subsequent entries fall victim to that kind of idea too. And it's like from a character beat, from a motivation standpoint, his goal, it's to, it, I would argue his goal isn't to, as selfless as let me stop the baddies, you yeah. know, it's, mm-hmm. it's really, let me put one barefoot in front of the other and hope I survive the next yes. step. Yeah. And that is such a unique turn of, of storytelling that mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I, I, I'm, I'm kind of rambling, but I think what I'm trying to say is I don't love the presumption of a whole lot anymore. You know, it's like, yeah, right. Well, right. Well, we've got the, we've got the rights to it. So let's, let's, you got to make it. It's like, well, yeah, sure. Man, I wish I just want something like something that's clearly considered, clearly thought about. Mm-hmm. Doesn't mean it's perfect up and down. Just means like right. speak creatively, cast it well. Like this, this mm-hmm. movie kind of blew me away with, uh, I, I would argue there are very few 
uh, hyper dated visual effects in this. Like, oh, absolutely, it all still right. pretty works. Yeah. Um, honestly, the most dated aspect of it is just the the casting of the thugs. You know, they all look very like. Oh, sure. Yeah. yeah. Bodybuilder types. You know, like, <laughs> sure. Okay, of course. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah they exactly. look like they rolled off the WWE, you know, second tier line. Um, yeah. <laughs> but, uh, exactly. they're the mid carters. <laughs> right. Yeah. That's the word I'm looking for. That's exactly it. Uh, anyway, wait, anyway my point being, I'm just trying to say, I just, I, it, it's kind of like the feeling I had when we watched, talked about Goonies. It's like you, you see some things in an older movie that we've gotten so far from because mm-hmm. it's gotten so, uh, not just IP laden, but like safe. Yeah. Let's, we let's, yeah. let's shield ourselves from risk at kind mm-hmm. of every level of production. And so you, you end up with very little creativity and, yeah, and sort of right. passion and heart. And anyway, I yeah, no, I, no, I, I love it. I jive with everything that you're saying, but I mean, listen, okay, here's the deal. <laughs> We're talking about all this love and affection. This is this is not the love of God. This is the fear of God. Okay, so like we need we, <laughs> that's, a, that's a payoff. <laughs> so I just want to remind listeners and remind you that listen. At the end of the day, we're a horror show. So the facts are: if it's gory, if it's gross, if it causes you a fright, then it's time for the part of the show that we call "That Ain't Right." Sure as hell ain't right. Nathan. Read. I'm gonna let you go first. What you, what you got on your that ain't right list? For not being a horror movie, there's there's a, there's a number of mm-hmm. both story points and ac- action points that are pretty that ain't right here. Totally agree. Um I'm gonna open up to you, Reed, in this that ain't right segment. Oh, okay. So you know I got my hot tea. I don't do that. You know, I'm, I'm getting old. <laughs> I don't know if you can see it. I got read. I don't know if you can oh, see man. this in your camera. I got yep. readers now, man. I got LASIK <laughs> this year. And like three months later, I suddenly need readers. What oh, the hell? That's that ain't right. That ain't no, right. That ain't right. <laughs> that ain't I can right. see like, I can see like a hawk a mile away. But if that Shinto's up close, I'm like, oh, they what? overcorrected. What does that say? <laughs> oh my and God. And it came out of nowhere. My point is. I'm not the same me I might have used to be. Mm-hmm. And there's a couple of things in this movie Uh-oh. that, you know, whether it's because I'm getting old or whether it's because my OCD is just amplifying <laughs> over the years. Yeah. One, we already called it out as a it's it's a it's a scripting bit of brilliance. Okay. But yo, I might have jumped out one of those windows too sweet because I so hate not having things on my feet these days. Yeah. It is like OCD <laughs> yes. level. If anyone's a smart listener, it's like Jason Bateman level OCD. Okay. Like, I'm, I, I shit you not read. I have flip flops and slippers mm-hmm. and I will, I will, man, I'm getting real right now. I will, <sighs> depending on what part of the house I'm in, depending on what time of the day is it, sure. it is, yeah. will depend on whether I got some flip flops or some slippers on I get in you. the house. Like yeah, that's how yeah. stupid it's getting. Yeah, I got socks I and, sl- and slippers on right now. I am not. I hate walking around barefoot these days, which makes me a little sad. Because Aww, you know, there's something yeah, lovely yeah, and natural yeah, yeah. about that. Like sure. if you're outside or whatever. But 
man, uh-uh, I can't do it. That ain't right. And yeah. the other one, the other one that hadn't been mentioned yet, Reed, is your boy John McClain. He's he's just maybe he did get off a shift in the Big Apple and hop a flight out of LaGuardia. He's on <laughs> he's on a plane for six hours. He touches down. He's in a limo, hopefully a clean limo, but he's in the front seat now with Argyle. You know, Argyle didn't mm-hmm. plan for that. Okay, that's a turn of sure. turn yeah. of events. He gets to the the you know the high rise and Nakatomi Plaza, and and he's like, "Hey, can I freshen up?" Okay, cool. And my man just takes a uh, hand towel in the back, so he you know he kind of strips down a little bit. Sure, he's down to that what iTunes called a vest is definitely not a vest, not a vest. Um, and he takes a hand towel from the bathroom and wipes out his pits. Yeah. <laughs> what is he? What does he not do? What does he not do next that any normal male adult human should do before S- he exits sniff? that bathroom sniff to make not sure. Sniff. Oh, no. I mean, sure. Maybe yeah. that's not where I'm going though. Put on some damn deodorant. What? Oh. <laughs> no, you cannot save the world without deodorant on no man oh my god uh-uh. well, not even the world but you know your yeah. lady friend and nakatoma plaza yeah so yeah that oh ain't god. right my man <laughs> wipes his pits with a hand towel in a public restroom and does not have deodorant <laughs> handy to refresh himself like yes yes boy be stinking by the end of this movie oh he really and, would be he would yes. climb through air vents dirty like his shirt was white when we first saw him and then i know like, <laughs> that was kind of funny that was funny <laughs> just, i mean by the end of it it's brown. just like doo-doo brown like okay come on <laughs> it is you've been crawling through some stuff right there that whole shirt has been dyed a different color purely by the dirt and grimy nasty that you've been crawling oh, through. no i totally totally get it uh yeah it was uh, the the feet thing specifically with the glass is was definitely well sure the, yeah that ain't yeah. right yeah, list, oh, yeah. But, that's, that's just oh, cherry man. on top you know um and that's why I don't go around barefoot because you never know, dude. You don't know. I mean, like thieves could be breaking up in here, and I gotta have at least my slippers on, at least my flip flops, so that I'm like, hm, shoot out that glass, Something. find it, see if I care. Um, so, <laughs> um, my that ain't right. Though I think from a story and character construction, it's 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 really pretty great. Uh, but my that ain't right is is Willis's or not Willis's um, Ellis's plan. Like where he's just like, remind me oh. who is Ellis? Ellis is the sleazy, you know, oh, cocaine and yeah, cokehead dude who's like totally arrogant, rough. just completely sleazy. And then he just marches in there, and it's just painful and uncomfortable to watch. Only reason I, or should say, only thing I love about that scene is the way Rickman treats him. He's like, that's amazing. You figured this yeah. all out yourself. <laughs> it's just so. Did great. you catch? I wouldn't have picked up on this except I was reading some of the back material on IMDb, and this mm-hmm. movie's so old; it's like fifty pages long. And I was like, oh, "Okay, I ain't got yeah. all that time." It's a novel, but, <laughs> yeah, yeah. But when they bring him a soda, and how? Do you remember this? Well, I remember so, they bringing him a soda, and it's a it's a Coke, and yeah, right. But the joke being that he had asked them for Coke i.e. cocaine <laughs> and what they bring him is is a coca-cola <laughs> yeah 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 i would funny. not have picked up on that but oh, they were, uh, that's you know great. and i don't know if there was a, a i don't i can't remember now if it was a, a scene got cut where he does explicitly ask for it but that it's just they leave in the the bringing of it that, that, that is oh, they god. get confused about what he's actually asking for <laughs> it's hysterical oh my god that's great um but yeah i mean like 
it's it's a great scene for what it does inside the narrative. But every single time that scene comes, I just I cringe through his whole pitch where he's just like, "Listen, I understand. I get you. You know, like just the whole again." I love that the film is in is directly indicting that kind of chauvinistic opportunism, but uh, it, it's still just kind of h- him in it, and then him going out the way he did. You know, I love that he says right on radio, like, "Hey, Hans, this is this is this is radio. It ain't TV. What are we role playing here? Put the gun away." <laughs> and then, like, you see his face sort of change and turn. It's like, oh my god, I am in way over my head. Well, but that um, yeah. scene is such a uh, a useful piece of the puzzle to again subvert a thing. Uh, what I mean, I thought this is the scene where Hans is going to learn Holly and John's relationship. Oh, right. But that right. was all. But what instead happened for me as a viewer was was the revelation of okay, this is the brilliance of her maiden name being front mm-hmm. and center here, mm-hmm. and. It, it isn't so much Ellis selling out Holly as it is him trying to buddy up with, yeah. I know who it is. Yeah. Doesn't really, you know, he doesn't make their relationship part of that story, which one Mike could say is a cop out, but you know, I, I, it doesn't, didn't bother it, me ultimately. But it will. And I, if somebody were to say that that's a cop out, I say, if it were any character other than Ellis, maybe it'd be a cop out, but Ellis is so uh smoke and mirrors, dog and pony show type of, try to fluff himself up. So naturally he would be like, no, 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 no. I mean, he's not here because his wife works here. He's here because we've been friends for years, you know, like I'm the guy, I'm the guy who can give him to you, you know? And what started for him as wanting to receive all the glory and the credit was his Achilles heel because now he's put himself right in that line of fire. And it just, it escalates so brilliantly when like right after that and the people start screaming and then Hans runs out and like, you know, put, puts the, uh, walkie-talkie up there to to hear the screams and god i love alan rickman in this movie so much but he's just like you know oh shall i shoot another one you know maybe i eventually will get to someone you care about um and i love when uh you know with reference to how he's going to uh, use drugs ellis references the spoon he's like but why a spoon gruber and gruber's like because it's dull you twit it'll hurt more that's a that's a that's a great movie too well i don't know about great movie but that i love him in that movie but that's not that's not it <laughs> this is that era though this is, is that era I, think, I mean, that's probably what a year or two after this. Uh, I want to say Prince of Thieves was ninety two. I would need to look it up. I th- it's very mm. soon after this. Like this, yeah. this gave us Rickman, and then right. like pigeonholed him into that kind of of, of villainous type of part. Um, but yeah, I would think that w- I, I, I say that would be my that ain't right. I had another smaller one, um, but again, like so many other things in this, I think it serves a purpose. Um, the glibness of the FBI guys when they're going up to the roof be like the 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 one guy says like oh I say we take out the terrorists we lose 20 25 percent of the hostages tops yeah and then the other guy's like I can live with that I mean so completely glib and dismissive of the collateral damage and it's 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 crazy you said this earlier or at least drove by it where it's like John McClane from moment one is not I'm going to take these guys out. I'm going to take care of them. He's not that. He is trying for three-fourths of this movie to actively stay out of the way. He wants to bring in the LAPD. He wants them to come in. He wants them to come and take care of the situation. He tries desperately to not be the one on whom all of these 
things are resting. He just keeps, he, he takes care of what he needs to in the moment because he has to and then hides and then moves out of the way. And I'm just like, this well, is, I love, this is so fantastic. I, love, I know we're in that ain't right. And so this, some of these things don't bracket easily into that, but I love that the actions he has to perform while inside the building from a story structure standpoint, further serve to muddy the perspective outside the building of what exactly yes. is going on. You know, that, yeah. that's like when he drops the C4 down the elevator shaft, like that's yes. a great moment, oh. which is, utterly a a survival you know uh Mm -hmm. maneuver but they perceive it as oh my god you know yeah somehow he's in it or they're dubious of him this is from a sound editing that ain't right dude so um what was the scenario oh i my wife and oldest child were out of town this past weekend i watched this after the youngest in the middle went to bed and and I told Penny when she, the, the middle, when she went up to bed, I was like, Hey, I'm going to watch this loud. So just, you know, mm-hmm, just, mm-hmm. just don't, don't come down, you know, but, but it's just like, don't be alarmed. It's, yeah. got, this is why I have this set up so I can listen, watch movies like Die Hard Loud. What yes. I wasn't prepared for, Reed, is the sound mixing on this. The machine gun fire, the the amount mm. of it and the literal decibel volume of it. I was like, sure. oh, my God. Yeah, it's I had a lot. to turn it down many times, yes. not knowing that it infamously became the reason Bruce Willis had uh, a permanent hearing loss in yes. one of his ears, mm-hmm. which oh, is yeah. wild. Yeah, it's pretty crazy. Yeah, they definitely. Uh, that is the one place where it's like, yeah, if you're watching it, they're they're trying to scare you. It feels like whenever those machine guns go off, yeah, it's uh, it, it it's pretty awful. Um, well, I don't know. Did you did you squirm? Did you wince? Did you squint your eyes real tight? It's probably because of what we around here call that ain't right. That sure as hell ain't right. But. Wait a second. This is not a horror film. This is also, well, it's Die Hard. I mean, like when we get right down to it, this movie is Die Hard. So I have, a, I have another question for you, Nathan. Uh-huh. Is it smart? Is it fun? Does it make things a little more bright? Well, it's probably because of what we call around here, that's so right. Nice. That's so right. first time oh i love it i love it listen as much ain't right as in this film there's so many things that are that are so so right i'm going to defer again you can you can have you can have first play at this but i have like 20 things to to possibly mention i'll only mention like one or two but oh so great what do you got um i'll mention a couple um one i'll only uh, pass it by here because it's already been mentioned. I love the use of Argyle, like just mm, from a, mm-hmm. again for a movie. Th- this is what you always worry about in these bottle episode of a movie, which is you know single location. I, I mean, I know they're all over a single building, but like you know, h- how are they going to interact with the outside world and something like sure. Argyle as a story device and as a means to uh, pay off later? Uh, I really enjoyed. Yeah. Um, but a, a, a few 
a, a few biggies and I've got some smallies. Uh, I'll do those after you do whatever you want. But I, I loved I references already. I loved his monologue to Al about saying, I'm sorry to his wife. Oh, it's it's um, wonderful. It's, it's wonderful. It's just a great. Now, I, I didn't read, you know, what they might have done to to facilitate that scene. But it's literally just Bruce Willis with the walkie talkie on set. You yeah. know, you got to oh, imagine. Yeah. I imagine it's possible someone's on the other end of that, but it, they don't have to be from a just, right. you know, how you shoot it standpoint. And, yeah. and he just, he nails it. He nails it. The, um, uh, d- with apologies for cutting you off, just a little, a little behind the scenes knowledge. If the behind the scenes stories are to be believed, that was in the script, uh, at least as a moment, it was constructed in the script, but a lot of the flavor of it and a lot of what Bruce Willis says in it is him bringing it to him he was he was deliberately attempting to like think about he was with Demi Moore at the time so he was attempting like to think about like what would I say to her if this was the last time I was going to see her or something like that and so a lot of that is him like to to the praise that you're heaping upon him uh, that wasn't just him delivering a great scripting moment he infused a lot of it to you know what he really thought was right for the moment and they filmed it two ways one where he kind of got emotional and they filmed it one way where they're like, don't, don't tear up. Don't get broken down by what you're saying. And the take they ultimately used, as you saw, was the one where he gets kind of emotional about it, which, uh, yeah, it's a brilliant moment. Love it so much. Well, it's funny you say that because uh, the, the meta text isn't as interesting to me as the, the choice, because while I wouldn't have necessarily remembered the value of him getting emotional at scene, a thing I love and again, John McClane and Die Hard 90, uh, 88 as, as, you know, prototypical or, or antithetical to, you know, much of what existed in the action hero realm. I love when he meets Al at the end and, and cries some. Oh, like, man. That's and they great. hug. That's oh, great. What a beautiful. great choice to have him break, you know, to like, mm-hmm. like this dude's been through so much. It's just real. It's just real. Yes. You know? Yes. Um, and, and he's not carrying the weight of the world or he can, he can unload the weight yeah. of the world he'd been carrying. The, no, the last one that isn't emotionally entrenched. And I'd say was just a fun biggie production. One was, I loved the fight between him and Blondie. Um, oh, just a really, yes. really mm-hmm. great because again, you look at those two next to each other and on pure, you know, uh, stature and power blondie's gonna win but but he goes ham on him oh it's so great you know you just like a ferret or something just (laughs) punching the crap out of him (laughs) well and he's he's muttering (laughs) i'm "I'm gonna kill you i'm gonna kill you oh my god yeah Yeah. it's just like (laughs) i i think the the meta choice to have willis whether i imagine this was probably a combination decision between he and mctiernan maybe it started Mm -hmm. with willis but just that I don't know if it's just amplified OCD or whatever in the character of just like mm-hmm. his, 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 his coping mechanism. It's kind of like Spider-Man's coping mechanism is quipping, right? <laughs> Dude, it's like quipping. Yeah, making yeah, banter yeah. and jokes like how Bruce Willis, I'm sorry, how John McClane copes with what he's doing is he, <laughs> he verbalizes everything, you know? <laughs> yeah. Oh, absolutely. And, um, I love to like <laughs> something else that I, uh, beat up, on violent night a little bit for was the sort of haphazard deployment of profanity. I think the deployment of profanity in this is brilliant. I think, you know, there's lots of, there's plenty of little filler words as well, but I think it's so great the way that they sometimes flavor in certain, certain words. I mean, like, you know, the big one on my list is going to be the arguably most quotable 
element of this, and that's yippee mother effer, you know, like uh, the way that that is all uh, integrated into this is just, is just fantastic. I love to where um, <laughs> he gets on the, he gets on the emergency line and, and she's just like, sir, because he says like, Hey, there's, you know, the oh, fire yeah. and she's like, sir, this is an emergency line. He's like, you know, no, like, do you have this? Do I sound like I'm ordering a pizza? <laughs> like, it's just like, and then I love how he gets exasperated with him and he's just like, fine, send them, send everybody, come down here and arrest me. Just send somebody. Oh my God. Well, uh, uh, um, two notes uh, as far as the profanity goes. One, I was just, because if anything lives in infamy beyond the name of the character John McClane related to Die Hard, it's yippee mother. Mm, and mm-hmm, so mm-hmm. I was really unprepared for its subtlety uh, when it actually oh, happens. Oh, yeah. I was like, oh, yeah. well, I it's love great. that. You know? It's great. Um, Almost whisper. Now, it's great. Yeah, yeah. Now, what I did read is it becomes the, I've got a bad feeling about this, is to Star Wars, you know, and just gets mm. reiterated across the franchise. But yeah. there's that. And then yeah. I, I love, you You alluded to this when you said, oh, God, don't let me die or whatever. But <laughs> he's he's wrapping himself with a fire hose and he goes, Oh, John, what the f*** are you doing? You know? Yes. <laughs> oh, God, it's so great. It great. Oh, man. Um, this is a silly, silly little thing to love, but I just love Al Powell in this, uh, you know, Carl Winslow from Family Matters and uh, Reginald Vell Johnson, the real, the real actor's name. Um, but I love this moment where he's walking out and he's just like, because you know the words to the song, but why are you just, uh, you know, weather outside is frightful. And then he's like, Dum de dum delightful. I just I don't know. It just uh, that moment huh. for me as a silly, stupid little thing. Always just like oh, it reminds me that this is a Christmas movie. <laughs> I'm not in the camp. We haven't talked about it very much. Haven't mentioned it really at all in this. But I'm in the camp of like I'm fine calling it a Christmas movie because if you're going to really take it to task that like oh, Christmas movies can only be things that are about Christmas. No, Die Hard's not about Christmas, but it is definitively set at Christmas. So I'm fine calling it a Christmas movie. Um, but, uh, I just, I just love that. Cause it's, it's like, yeah. it's not really an argument. I care to, I loved Bruce Willis's, um, during the roast of Bruce Willis. I love the way he, he put this. He was like, you know, die hard is not a Christmas movie. Die hard is not what all you guys want to make it. What die hard is, is a f- bruce willis movie (laughs) (laughs) i was like oh that's 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 fun um yeah uh, i think the other thing that i think this might have been improv if it wasn't improv definitely the way he did it is is kind of when he's crawling in the vent apparently like he riffed a lot including including the line where he was like now i know what a tv dinner feels like but i love it It was like the great way he's like come to the coast we'll have a few laughs we'll get together (laughs) It's so great. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Oh, uh, I, I wrote that one down for sure. Yeah. Come out to the coast. We'll get together. We'll have a few laughs. And it's, it's, it's not even just the line it's the delivery. You oh know, yes. It's, it's absolutely. Great. It's just dripping with sarcasm. But I think the other thing and, and my, my a number one, that's so right. Like the thing. Mm. And, and we've, we've mentioned it. We we've, you know, skirted by it. I'm probably going to camp here for just a just a brief moment, but Alan Rickman, man, God rest Alan Rickman. Like he is my a number one with a bullet. I love so many things about this movie. 
I think this movie would quite literally be half the movie it is, maybe less than half, without Alan Rickman as Hans Gruber. He is a brilliant villain. Uh, I, I applaud his line towards the end where Holly, which I love Bonnie Bedelia in this too, but uh, Bonnie Bedelia is getting a lot of play on the podcast uh, recently. Yeah. She's, I was like, what in the world? Like, where? Um, but I love towards the end where she's just like all of this and you're just, you know, common thieves. And the way he corrects her is I'm an exceptional thief. <laughs> yeah. Just like, Oh my God. It's so wonderful. I love that. You know, the regality of it, that from the moment he steps on screen, his accent, his presence, you know, he looks at those models and uh, again, it's, it's not fair to compare it. So I'm going to make a personal pledge that this will probably be my last comparison. But I, when I'm, when I'm contrasting something like John Leguizamo in Violent Night, and then I look at somebody like Hans Gruber in Alan Rickman and John Leguizamo is a great actor, but Hans Gruber and Alan Rickman uh, uh, when he steps into where he sees the models and quotes, you know, Plutarch, where he's like, you know, uh, Alexander wept for there were no more worlds to conquer. I'm like, that's, man, this is a savvy, sharp, witty villain. I love so many Hans Gruberisms. I love when he's rattling off all the people that he wants to be released. Yeah, and he's yeah. like, the people of the Red Dawn. And Carl's like, Red Dawn? <laughs> Like mouths to him like Red Dawn, and then Gruber just like pulls the walkie away from. I read about him in Time Magazine, you know. Yeah, like yeah, yeah, it's yeah. just, it's so, it's so wonderful. I mentioned earlier the way he plays with Ellis, where he's like, "Amazing, you figured this all out by yourself," right? You know? Um, like it's just, just again his presence. Alan Rickman, uh, I can't quite remember the details of this story in the in the real right now, but uh, him putting on an American accent when he yeah. meets Willis, I think was a choice they made because Rickman could do an American accent. I don't think that was yeah, the but way that I think they discovered it by accident. Yes. Yeah. That, yeah. Uh, that, that, that was not the way that scene was originally supposed to play out. But when it, when they found out that he could do that, they're like, Oh, well let's just lean into this. Cause it's just, and the way he turns on a dime, you know, and just gets real vulnerable. Like, Oh God, don't kill me. Don't kill me. Don't kill me. Don't kill me. I'm like, man, this guy is brilliant. And the look on his face when that watch unclasps and he realizes like, Oh, I am, I am going, you know, apparently in the real, they shot that three times and couldn't quite get it right. So on the third time it was, if I'm remembering correctly, it was one of those things where, they were supposed to deploy on three and deployed on two. So the look is the look on his face is, is real of the, mm. Oh God, <laughs> like, uh, you know, the shock of it, uh, when he's falling well, into that part, part of that scene, I'll just toss this on the pile here of, of my, that's so right. is when, uh, he's falling and the, you know, the head of, head of police who's out there says, Oh, I hope that's not a hostage. <laughs> that's a great last line. <laughs> yes. Oh my God. It's wonderful. Um, yeah. But- I mean, well, okay. This is the last I'll mention about the night. Cause here's what's hard read an hour ago in this conversation. You, you canonized Die Hard not just as the premier action movie perhaps know, of all yes. time, True, but that it yes. even sheds even the moniker action movie and transcends into something other, which true, is true. totally yes. fair, fine, worthy, and and deserved. Uh, 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then you say, well, Violent Night's not this. Like, well, <laughs> yeah. I'm not even trying to defend Valentine at a certain uh, point. Just, you're just saying like, yeah, you know, yeah. Just why kick the movie while it's it down with the dodgeball, like, you know, <laughs> stop God. hitting it with the dodgeball. Cause you it's, know what? It's not the easy when target. When I thought about watching this movie, I was asking you the question, who do you think could play John McClane? And the only person I can come up with is David Harbour who could deliver it with oh, that level yeah. of like earnestness and that level mm-hmm. of like, uh, uh, I think I think size wise he's probably bigger than than Willis, but he's not that's like the only yeah bodybuilder. That's but, well, um, that's the only ding to it is that David Harbour is a big dude. He's not yeah. a he's not muscle bound. He's not Schwarzenegger, but, but from a performance but, standpoint, he would channel some of these same things. Oh, absolutely, absolutely, and does with Hopper. Yeah, like yeah, no, I abs- I absolutely the reluctance. Agree with that. Mm-hmm. You know, yep the the self deprecation. Yeah, I absolutely agree with that. Um, yeah, I just man love this love this movie so much um do you have anything more to throw on to the that's a right pile i just have i just have one final um one. i think well i think the deep one that i've already referenced at least is just i just love the relationship that develops between al and john and how and, and it isn't just that the relationship exists it's it's again a a skill of the film to have two characters develop such a rich relationship who are never physically present with each other right until the literal right. very end. Like that's just a real deft maneuver. Um, but yeah. the only other light one was, I don't know how they pulled off half the shots they did. I mean, like, Oh, you sure. watch something yeah. like this 40 years on 30 years on 35. It this is its 35th right. anniversary. Yep. Mm-hmm. You watch something like this 35 years on knowing how far we've come and mm-hmm. yet still feeling like, huh? Maybe we haven't come as far as we thought. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, That's it. My last one is just, uh, and and it bleeds out of my love for Alan Rickman, but just the delivery when he sees the, it's the first moment that they realize they have a problem. Yeah. So I love it from a story perspective, but the elevator opens and uh, the character is dead. I think it's Klaus is his name. The character's dead and he sees the sweatshirt that McLean has, mm-hmm. you know, very quickly marked up. And I just love Rickman's reading of it. I do a very poor Alan Rickman, you know, impression, but he's just like, now Much less accurate Alan Rickman doing German, you know? Yes. Right. Uh, now I have a machine gun, but I just love the ho, ho, ho. Like it's just, I, I don't know. There's something about the way that that, that that is very quiet and the way that that is very reserved. And even I love, uh, when, he and Carl are fighting about the fact that Carl's brother is dead and he wants revenge and he wants, he wants it right now. And then, um, you know, he's like, no, 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 we do not alter the plan. And then Carl says, and if he alters it, and of course that line is just left there, but then the very next people that McLean takes out and he obtains the detonators, you know, like, so he has altered their plan because now he's taken the detonators again. It's just so right the script, all of it. Um, all right. Well, you know, uh, did you smile? Did you chuckle? Did you, you know, feel your spirits get a little bit more bright? It's probably because of what we around here call that's so right. That's just so right. I didn't pre-plan that ending. I so say, I didn't you do. didn't plan the outro. <laughs> no, I didn't plan the outro. So that that's TBD. Um, so the uh, the the yeah, we've heaped a ton of praise on this film. At a certain point, it's it's probably going to get a bit uh, you know 
just ridiculous how much we are saying, oh, this film's amazing, and this is, you know, one of the greatest films ever. But I just think one of the things that stood out to me about this film is the way that it's having this very strange sort of dialogue with maturity and what I'll call like machismo. We've, we've touched on this a little bit. Um, it's slightly different than the, what I called the indictment of opportunism that the film does. But we talked about Bruce Willis's vulnerability, not only as a non imposing physical presence, but also, you know, shoeless and very much like up against it. Um, but I just found it really interesting the way that every the, the three characters I would center this on, John McClane, Holly Gennaro, and Al Powell. Uh, and I would even, to a degree, chuck, uh, well, to a pretty large degree, chuck Hans Gruber into the same category, except that Hans Gruber's motives are not, you know, what we would want to champion. But the way that they approach this, not by a sheer force of will or attitude, but by thoughtfulness you know like i love i don't we didn't mention it maybe it could have gone into that so right but i love the scene where holly comes in and he says who put you in charge and she said you did or he said what idiot put you in charge and she said you did when you killed my boss right but then the scene that they have the dialogue that they have like i just love it where she's just like about the pregnant woman yeah it's like you got a pregnant woman out there She's okay. She's not going to deliver for a while, but that rock is getting pretty uncomfortable. It's like, can I take him to have, uh, you know, to an office where there's a sofa? And then Gruber saying back, no, but I'll have a sofa brought out to you. Is that good enough? You know, and then her saying good enough. It's just like, it's just, it's great because it's not belligerent and it's not, uh, again, I feel like this film is kind of anti-machismo, even though a whole bunch of people get shot up and a whole bunch of people get bludgeoned and bloodied and beat up and everything. This film has a through line that feels like it's like the anti, I was about to say anti-testosterone. I think that's a bridge too far, but it, it very much is kind of with every beat saying, Hey, uh, that, that alpha thing. I mean, it's, it's kind of a, a subversion of a traditional masculine yeah. type of type. Yeah. Yeah. But that it's basically, it just stood out to me more this this time where it's like, hey, and it doesn't indict confidence. McLean is a very confident and very assured character, but it does, I feel, indict, well, indicts maybe a strong word. It at the very least criticizes that kind of thing where it's just like, oh, well, I'm just gonna take I'm just gonna take control of the moment. Like I'm I'm gonna step in and do what needs to be done because nobody else will do it. You think about things like uh, the, the, the way the deputy chief of police, when he shows up, completely dismisses all of the information, doesn't thoughtfully engage the conversation. Like uh, when uh, Reginald Vell Johnson is like, well, what about the guy who flew out of the window? He's like, oh, he's a stockbroker, got depressed. Right. On one hand, that could be a moment of like, oh, how stupid do you have to be? But then I think about like, well, when you get into that mindset where you're just like, brushing aside every piece of information you should be completely uh, trying to integrate and consider when you're already so assured of I'm the one who has to do what needs to be done. And so I'm just going to go do this. Um, It's just fascinating to me the way this film kind of at nearly every narrative beat is like, no, that's, that's not going to be how you succeed. And 
I think it's really brilliant that they do that for the villains and for our heroes. That whether you're on the, in air quotes, good guy side or bad guy side, what this film kind of repeatedly deploys is saying like approaching the problem thoughtfully, approaching the problem methodically, and approaching the problem strategically is smarter, sharper, and gives you a greater chance of success than approaching it with brute force, arrogant opportunism, or any other uh, sort of, I'll, I'll put in air quotes, alpha, you know, type of attitude that says like, oh, I'm just going to, I'm just going to fix the problem. You know, let me just, well, all right, and I'm going to take mean, to charge. that point, something that is interesting about the, just kind of the structure of the story is there, there isn't a moment where suddenly McLean takes it to them. You know, right. there, there's not there's a, not, like mm-hmm. he doesn't suddenly turn into solid snake and is roaming the halls. No taking out baddies. Like if no. anything, he is constantly on the defensive. Um, yes. Even, even I'm thinking of the scene when he's trying to corral the crowd off the roof. Like oh, it is a manic, right? just like, Oh my God, Dill, please, please, yes. please. Like there's nothing commanding, you know, <laughs> it's, it's yeah, yeah, yeah. Not, a, not at all. And uh, it's so great too, because like, even in that scene, then the FBI guys are like, oh, you know, t- uh, take that terrorist out, you know. And and then he's even muttering under his breath. He's like, I'm on your side. Like, I'm one of you guys, you know. Um, I don't know. I found it a refreshing uh, story uh, in praise of thoughtfulness, if you will. Like, just uh, the, the, the idea, again, I'll, I'll speak to the, the bad side of it as well as the good. Um, the terrorists, which I love, again, the film doesn't play all the cards, but the terrorists are not just terrorists, they're just thieves, and they have a certain mechanism that has to happen, the the yeah. electromagnetic field that rose at a certain point, and it's just like, okay, well, there's no way we can crack through this field, but Gruber has planned this to say, like, no problem, because by this point, right. they'll think they're doing the smart thing by cutting our power. Meanwhile, they're giving over to, they're doing exactly what we want them to do. Right. You know, and, and that's the other piece. I think that's where it became as I was watching it this time through, I think that's where it became so crystallized for me of like, man, this film is writing, uh, you know, uh, almost a dissertation about, Hey, uh, don't act impulsively or, thoughtlessly because you know that you're playing right well, into the hands if of- i can add one last example to your pile here that i thought you were going to steer into is the is the very end which is um or, or the final confrontation between mm. um mclean and gruber because even i was like oh man he he's in he you know he's cornered like when he yeah. starts laughing oh, yeah and then just that great moment where the camera shot cuts to his back like okay yeah okay that's badass <laughs> it's, it's you know all so right great didn't see that coming love yeah. it here we oh, go oh man you and know. then when it, 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 it it's a literal holster like the roy rogers thing and then you know where he where he pulls the thing away and then that's the final deployment i don't know how well you know roy rogers but the roy rogers show in old time radio always opened with that happy trails to yeah. you like well, i know that but i don't know what you're the connection point you're making here well just that uh like he's he's got uh, he's fashioned that gun as a kind of a holster 
It's just like the quick draw thing, yeah, which yeah, is yeah. just, yeah. you know, it, it's a subtle payoff, but, you know, something that that is still very real and very present that you didn't realize in the moment when you see it all play out. But again, it's it's thoughtfulness, you know. Right. He has nowhere to hide it. He can't hide it, you know, in his pants leg or anything. He has nowhere to hide it. So before he charges right in to even save his wife, before he charges right in, he looks around, sees the, it's a very quick shot, but sees the the packing tape, the Christmas wrapping tape. Um, and then, you know, it's got right. a great, another payoff there. But anyway, I mean, like, there's not a ton of more need for me to belabor that point, but I just, I love, I, I think too many things these days, it begins to feel like what we need is more force, more or more of a show of force. It feels like for so many choices, it feels like we just need to show ourselves to be strong, show ourselves to be in control, uh, not in the sense of just reserved and measured, but like right. puppet, puppeteering everything, like we are in charge. And I love that this film kind of stands as an antithesis to that. Where it says like, oh, actually, that belligerent, arrogant attitude uh, may more more often, or at least too often, fail, as opposed to something that's strategic, that's you know methodical, that's thoughtful. Um, it just it was well, an unexpected think, source of inspiration for me. Yeah, yeah. Well, I think possibly to the point, or at least to support the point you're trying to make, there is it's like. If you can, if you can just outwit and outlast, th- then they will prove the architects of their own undoing, you know, mm, and, mm-hmm, and, and it, mm-hmm. but it requires not being rash, not being yeah. careless. Um, and, yeah. Yeah. And yeah. restraint and restraint, like the amount of times that McLean survives it because he holds himself back is, yeah. you know, at least six to eight times in this film, the reason he survives it is because he did not barrel forward like, you know, like, oh, I'm just going to obliterate right. all these guys. And again, it serves a narrative function to build tension and suspense, but also undergirds this, whether intentional or not, this theme of, yeah, uh, rest- in praise of thoughtfulness, in praise of restraint. Uh, and uh, I don't know. It, it was encouraging. I never in my life thought like, you know what? It's okay to not... Uh, you know, to to not just charge in and to not just feel like, oh, well, you got to act, you got to, you know, you got to, you got to do something, you got to, you know, uh, just uh, take control. And you know, uh, I'm avoiding using this phrase um, because I don't think it always is used in this context. But like, you know, man up, be a man. You know, like sure. it, it. This stands uh, as a very, very stark contrast to that idea. Uh, while simultaneously being a very thrilling, bullet-riddled action extravaganza, and I just, I just love it. I just love that about it. Um, so yeah, that's. I'm so glad you love to die hard. I was a little worried <laughs> when we when I first pitched it. I was like, oh man, am I ready for Nathan to perhaps have a tepid reaction to this, and how will I feel about that? And uh, I'm just glad you did. Huh. Yeah. Huh. yeah, no, yeah, not that I necessarily hey, expected man, you to. Game recognizes game. <laughs> Pour out a cold run for Scream franchise. What? Oh, uh, you I'm had sorry. End, sorry. Get us out of here. On a sad note. <laughs> <laughs> oh well, I was quoting it, and then I was like, "Oops." <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, so, yeah. Uh, 
if, if you have nothing more to add, I think we can go to the fog meter, if that's okay, for the old diehard. Um, so the fog meter is our very specific metric of fear and God, wherein we rate these films on their scares and their substance. And uh, it's not necessarily judging the quality of the film, more the heft, the gravity, what it asks of you as the viewer. Uh, Die Hard is a film from 1988. Uh, lots and lots of blood and guts, uh, but a very, I think you can attest, unconventional action film. So what, Nathan, would you give Die Hard on the fear measurement? Uh, uh, clearly grading on a little bit of a curve here, but maybe maybe a four? Um, okay. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, it, it is not a scary movie. There are, to a point you made earlier, had I been watching this in 1988 in the theater, I might not have, I, I might have worried more for the survival of this character. Cause I mean, I think sure. yeah. mm-hmm. towards the end of it, you're like, oh, I don't know. I don't know yeah. what's going to mm-hmm. happen to this guy. Yeah. Um, uh, and it's got some, some, an actual thing I left off or that I right is the wicked kill of him blowing out the guy's knees and the guy flying through the air with his head through the oh. glass window. Oh <laughs> my like, Lord. Okay. Yes. Um, so <laughs> yes. yeah, I'd, I'd say a four for fear. Okay. Um, yeah, honestly, uh, initial viewings of it. If you don't know what's about to happen, could be pretty white knuckle in some places. Um, definitely not like scary or nightmarish, but you know, gruesome in a couple of the deaths and, and uh, a couple of the sequences. I'll go a little higher than four, go six. Um, but I'm, I'm largely in agreement of the assessment of just like, yeah, this is, this is not, it's not very demanding even on that front. I've seen far more gruesome uh, action films, action styled films. Um, I'm gonna lead the charge on God reminding podcast listeners that I, how I approach this metric is, uh, does the film know what it's about and how well it, uh, uh, basically explores or displays what it is about. Uh, this is a 10 unqualified unasterisked. Uh, for me, this is an incredibly thoughtful film about its genre within its genre and extending beyond its genre as well. So for me, it's a 10, uh, what's a, um, you've, you've lived with the text a lot more than I have. Um, I think I'm in a place of seeing what you're saying and mm-hmm. not refuting that it's there. I'm, I'm not yet after one conscious, uh, consumption of it, ready to say it was all as intentional as you're seeing that. Mm-hmm. Um, so, uh, but, but I do think when people, know the story they're telling and how to tell it well that's something and and while it may not be god it is substance and so from that standpoint um i I think i'll land at a six for it Um, awesome okay yep uh and that means that we give die hard a technically six and a half i'll feel the freedom to round that up to a seven uh seven on the fog meter um but a i think significantly easier question to answer is do you recommend Die Hard. Hell yeah. Cowboy. <laughs> uh, in fact, if it weren't for some of the nudity, I was like, man, I'd love to show this to the kids. Um, I know. Well, and it's, it's weird because there is this, yeah, weird place to sort of insert a couple of like, oh, yeah, I wish. Uh, there's like one very quick scene where some uh, people are broken in upon and you see it there. And then the um, 
uh, posters. There's there's right, a couple right. of scenes of posters that get called back to like once or twice. Um, if those were definitely cut out of the TV version that I saw, um, but uh, you but, would yeah. remember. <laughs> no wonder you loved this movie so much so early. <laughs> but um, but yeah, so so uh, those you know those couple of moments aside, I think yeah, it, uh, I totally hear what you're saying. But I join you in the recommendation. I mean, if, if if any listeners listened to the conversation we just had and thought Reed's not going to recommend Die Hard, uh, then yeah, I uh, I wonder how well you pay attention to our conversations. Um, but sincerely, I think this is one of the best films in this genre, if not the greatest pure action film ever made. But even casting all genre stipulations aside, I think it's an outstanding movie. One of the greatest films of the 80s. Uh, just an amazing achievement. 35th year anniversary, great time to bust it out uh, for the Christmas holiday because it all takes place at Christmas. Dumb to dumb delightful. Um, so yeah, that puts Die Hard in the uh, Fear of God canon in the archive. Uh, next week- I think, you, I think you plotted my ailment my vocal ailment because you're like, I got to have as much runway as I can get. So <laughs> that is not, that is not true. Hopefully you do not feel that no, I no, barreled no, over, your, over, over your conversation. But um, yeah, uh, I do feel like, you know, violent night was pretty much more of an action film. Die hard, definitely more an action film. So next week we got to have like a monster. We have to go to like, but we need like a class. We need like a classic monster like a really ah you know maybe not godzilla no maybe not creature from black lagoon we need but we need you know i mean you're thinking along the lines you know like green uh sort of like uh you know somebody who's like oh terrorizes a little town like godzilla you know like something that we you know something oh i've got it i've got it why don't next week we talk it's a little unconventional for us why don't we talk about the 1960s Chuck Jones directed Dr. Seuss written Boris Karloff narrated cartoon classic, how the Grinch stole Christmas. What, what do you think? What do you think? I think my heart just grew three times. <laughs> so awesome. So awesome. Uh, yeah. So listeners, I'm sure you've seen it before, but watch it again. Cause next week we're going to have a pretty special conversation, hopefully around the 1960s classic cartoon, How the Grinch Stole Christmas. So, as we say on every episode, the fear of God is the beginning of wisdom and not the end of the conversation. In that spirit, we encourage you to fear nothing else and be on your way rejoicing. Nathan, thank you for showing up to this conversation, especially feeling ill. I hope you feel better very, very soon. Listeners, thank you very, very much, and we will see you all next week. Bye, everybody. I thought you were going to say, and we will see you all at the movies. I'm like, Reed, I, I don't think we can do that. No, that's not our, <laughs> that's not our closing catch. Yeah, we just got sued. <laughs> I heard it. Bye, everybody. The fear of God is the beginning of wisdom, but not the end of the conversation. And you can continue the conversation in a variety of ways. Start by visiting thefearofgodpodcast.com for links to our social media and episode archive, essays, merchandise, and more. If you love what we do, consider becoming a patron by visiting patreon.com slash the fear of God podcast, where you will unlock exclusive bonus episodes, extended standard episodes, online events, and so much more. Special thanks to Jacob Hunt of tracermatula.com for our artwork. 
Our assortment of talented musicians, Andrew Nelson, the Island Family, and Jackson Harper for our varied show tunes. And to Lee Wright and Reed Lackey for our theme music. Special thank you also to Tyler Smith at MoreThanOneLesson.com. Lastly, be sure to subscribe to us on your podcast platform of choice. And if you listen to us through Apple Podcasts, we would greatly appreciate a rating and a review. Thank you for listening, and we'll see you next week. Hi, everybody. <laughs>